1: Uh, we're looking at the potential for a COVID vaccine for kids under five years old. The Pfizer is uh, applying for authorization from the FDA for exactly that. And our guest is Dr. Amish Adalja from Johns Hopkins University, one of our favorite guests we have on here on BMAS and Beamer to kind of uh, sort through it. Uh, Amish, I want to play for you something that uh, we heard yesterday. Uh, that uh, clip that was played a lot here on WBEN. Uh, Dr. Alok Patel uh, from Stanford Children's Health, Uh, him talking about the vaccine.
2: This is the timeline that all parents, even kids, are asking me about. And I think it actually is pretty crucial because if you think about it, getting a vaccine to kids will make school a little bit more normal, childcare a little bit more normal, and then that has a trickle-down effect in helping all those working parents and caretakers out there also.
1: Now, aside from the part that you know, kids are wondering when they can get their shot, I, I'm not 100% I believe that, but this idea that the COVID vaccine for kids is great because it will make everything more normal, I think is a very New York City, San Francisco, uh, people speaking idea, because we have a lot of Europe, a lot of parts of America where Stuff is normal for kids. They go to school every day. People don't wear masks. Uh, you, you know, it's if you're sick, you stay home. Uh, aside from that, things are like normal for kids. And this idea that it makes well every, parents feel better almost, I, I'm not sure if that's a great reason for approving vaccination. I, where is your head at when it comes to the vaccine for kids under five?
2: immunogenicity, but it is true that children are at very low risk for severe disease. But I think having a vaccine to minimize the disruptions of COVID-19, even if it is a mild disease, is a good thing. And, and I don't think it's, I think it should be approved based on its safety and efficacy. But the, the fact of the matter is, in this country, children's lives are so disrupted. And there is a group of parents, there, is a, there are, there are school, student un, uh, uh, teachers unions that have made it very difficult for children to have a normal life. And I think that's one of the, the silver linings of this vaccine or an extra benefit of the vaccine is that, yes, it's going to prevent COVID-19 issues in, in children, even though those are those tend to be rare, but it's also going to facilitate schools staying in person. And whatever the re, whatever the rationale is behind the way that we've handled schools in the United States, which is the wrong way, the fact of the matter is, is that these disruptions are going to continue until more people are are vaccinated, whether or not it's necessary or not. And, and the fact is, it's a safe and effective vaccine. So I, I don't have much, uh, I, I advocate for pa- parents to get their children vaccinated, but we live in a society where um, the, the schools have been completely disrupted. And even though other places like Europe have had um, a much better time with their schools and, and a lot of good best practices, they're just not something that people in the United States will ever look to or accept.
1: When we say safe and effective vaccine, how is the equation? for that, different for this age group than it would have been for everybody else. Um, Because, you know, maybe a year ago when you thought, okay, well, you get the vaccine and you're just not going to get COVID, right? You're not going to get it. You're not going to spread it. uh, You know, the answer is maybe a little bit more clear. But now that we know, uh, you know, with time that that's not really going to be the case, uh, especially with some of the newer variants, um, what is the level i, I mean how it's got to be a very fine line right between you know how much safer can you make somebody in this age group from this virus
2: in, in terms of number needed to vaccinate to prevent one hospitalization in someone under the age of 5 i think it's going to be very very high because as we said th- these children are at very low risk for severe disease obviously within that age group there are going to be 4 year olds that have asthma or 4 year olds that have had a heart transplant or who have had cancer on chemotherapy, and those individuals are going to benefit greatly from being able to be vaccinated. But for the average healthy child, the benefit in preventing hospitalization is low, and they will get some benefit in prevent in prevention of infection. But it's going to be transient because of the Omicron variant's ability to evade uh, the immune response. And I think a lot of this is tied up, as we've said, with society's response to COVID-19 and the disruption in schools and what what's being demanded of of everyone to keep schools in person. and I think I, I think most policymakers understand this. I think but it, but it's frustrating because there is a group of of people that have really pushed for this vaccine for children. and because it's safe and effective, we've sort of given it a pass. but I think it doesn't it doesn't bode well that that the risk tolerance is so low. And we have to also remember that if you look at vaccine uptake, children, so adults have a certain uptake. It's much lower for for, for children. For 16- to 17-year-olds, it's lower still for 12- to 16 year, to 12 15-year-olds. To it's lower still for 5- for to 11-year-olds, and it's going to be even lower still for 6 months to, to 4 years. So what, what we're talking about is maybe 20% of, of parents will get their, their, vac- their, their children vaccinated, and that's probably where it's going to stand for some time because that's where it stood in the 5- to 11 group, and it's a little bit higher in the other age groups, but the pediatric uptake has been poor so I think, it's, it, it, I think that, that there is an element that there is a group that's really clamoring for these types of things, that they want these things, and, and it is a safe and effective vaccine, so I don't begrudge them that. But um, we're not going to get very high uptake. And the way that they're doing this with kind of not having the dosing sorted out for the two- to four-year group and having this being the FDA asking for this information is highly irregular, and I think it probably will add to more vaccine hesitancy and will have lower uptake, as I said, with this age group.
0: You know, we still have people that are saying, you know, social media, and I know, you know, you can only take that for what it's worth, uh, you know, these vaccines to stop transmission, right? And we want kids to have vaccines to stop passing COVID uh, on to maybe the older population. But as it stands right now, especially with this variant, um, a a vaccine really is for your protection uh, from a severe disease, right? We are seeing COVID passed from vaccinated people, unvaccinated people, especially with Omicron, correct?
2: The primary purpose is, and I think it's always been, that's what I've always said, you want to get vaccinated for yourself, so you're protected against serious illness, hospitalization, and death. And with other prior variants, uh, there there was a, a major impact on transmission. That's starting to be not as much of a benefit with Omicron, because it can get around the protection provided by prior infection and the protection provided by vaccination. But it is true that a fresh vaccine, if you're freshly vaccinated or, or maybe even freshly boosted, you're going to have less chance of getting infected to begin with. Um, so, so that's going to make you less, less likely to, sp- to pass it. And it is also true that breakthrough infections are less contagious than people who have not been vaccinated. So a person who is vaccinated and gets infected with Omicron, yes, they can pass it on, but the time period that they pass it on is, is truncated. Versus someone who is not vaccinated, so in general, they do they, they do have some benefit in terms of decreasing transmission, but it's not as as good as it was with the alpha variant or even the delta variant. So that transmission blocking aspect of it is not the set is not the main selling point anymore. it's It's more about severe disease, hospitalization and death.
1: The idea keeps getting uh, thrown around in parts of the country that uh, vaccination would be mandated for going to school. Uh, for elementary age school kids, and now that it's opened up uh, for kids under five, or it will be likely in the very near future, you you can kind of see that expanding even further. That would seem to me to do much more harm than the opposite of having uh, a child who's unvaccinated who, you know, two years into this, the likelihood they've been exposed to COVID is pretty high.
2: I don't think the vaccines do harm it may be harm from a political
1: well, har- harm. It, let me rephrase that. I, 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 harm in the sense of keeping somebody out of a classroom because they don't have the vaccine.
2: I think we have to come to a kind of societal understanding of what's going to happen with childhood immunization and school requirements, because it's certainly the case that we vaccinate children are required to be vaccinated against things like hepatitis B, which really doesn't transmit in schools uh, or, uh, they're, they're asked to be vaccinated against chickenpox, which is, is a much less severe disease than, than COVID-19 is. And, and that doesn't have any controversy, uh, that you have to be vaccinated against chickenpox to, to enter school. I don't. So I, I think that we had to take a step back and realize that people are making lots of uh, claims about the COVID-19 vaccine, but they didn't make those against chickenpox or hepatitis B. And I don't know why they're worried so much, why, why there's so much opposition to the COVID-19 vaccine, but these same people, where were they when the chickenpox vaccine was required. So I think that a lot of this is kind of an illegitimate opposition to the vaccine. And I think, you know, the, the, the less disruption, infectious disease cause are, are better. I think schools should be able to set their own policies for what, what vaccine requirements that they have. And I don't think that COVID-19, the vaccine is any different than requiring chickenpox vaccines, requiring rotavirus vaccines, you know, daycare centers require flu vaccines. I think that that's all in the same line of thinking. So I, I'm not sure why people single out the COVID-19 vaccine, which is probably safer than most of those, as safe as all of those other vaccines.
0: Dr. Andalja, uh, you look at ch- children getting the vaccine at a younger age. Um, what would be, and I know th- this, this changes, but what would be the, um, the length of the effectiveness? Would this be something where younger children would have to get this every year? Uh, would they be... Uh, Uh, required to get boosters? uh, Is getting at a younger age, preparing your body for when you're older so you don't have to keep on taking the vaccine? uh, Would there be a long-term benefit?
2: It's unclear. I think we still don't know that question for adults yet. We don't know what duration of immunity is going to be, and we also are not clear on what our goals are with these vaccines. Are they to prevent serious illness, hospitalization, and death, or are they to prevent um, all types of infections? Uh, If it's prevention of serious illness, hospitalization, and death, I think the standard re- regimen seems to be holding up and, all, and everybody healthy. Obviously, there's going to be people who are immunosuppressed that may need more. But in general, I think we have to come clear on what the goals are, and I don't think that those have been articulated well. And there's also second-generation vaccines that are coming, Omicron-specific vaccines, universal coronavirus vaccines. So I think we can't really set in stone what our future vaccine policy is going to be because we're just really at the beginning of understanding where we're going to go with vaccine technology and and optimal vaccine policy. And I don't think that's anything you can telegraph right now. Uh,
1: What we might be able to telegraph is, you know, kind of the future of all this. Right. And, and, you know, vaccines have been out for about a year now. We've had uh, over a year, actually, um, for, you know, many people and their ability to get that. We have seen, you know, the uptake numbers. They might be increasing slightly, but they kind of generally are where they are for the people who have been uh, able to get them uh, get a vaccine for a very long time. Uh, the question of when does this become endemic is being asked over and over. And I have a little bit of a problem with the question, you know, uh, to ask uh, whether it's yourself or somebody else. You know, OK, well, when do we reach uh, COVID becoming endemic, you know, when do we uh, go more about a normal life? And I think that's more of a collective mindset than anything one doctor or expert can answer. What about you?
2: I, I think how you go about your life and what risk is appropriate for you as a person, that's not something that can, that's going to be like an official declaration. That's each person learning to risk calculate and, and understand that there's a COVID risk that they can't take down to zero and they've modified their behavior and there or they have not modified their behavior, they're going about it. But to me, what would signify endemicity would be when we're not seeing 1,000 or 2,000 people dying every day, because our endemic respiratory diseases don't kill like that, uh, when we don't have to worry about hospital capacity day in and day out in many parts of the country, because our endemic respiratory viruses never do that uh, like that. So to me, that's the transition point. I worked in the hospital the last two days, That's, and I'm not dealing with an endemic disease there because we are still... Getting crushed. Um, we still have too too long of waiting times in the emergency department. Too many people in the hospital with COVID-19. That's not what an endemic disease does. So to me, it's the deaths starting to fall and and the hospitalizations uh, falling. And, and I think it's what's what's interesting about this is the reason that we have these problems in the hospital. Is completely self-inflicted. It's because people are choosing not to be vaccinated and then choosing to come to their hospital and choosing to crush the people working there day in and day out. That's, that's why we're not in an endemic disease, because the people of this country have chosen not to use the technology that makes it endemic, that tames the virus. They've shunned the vaccine, and too many of them have high-risk conditions, and too many of them require hospital care.
0: Doctor, last time you joined us, you said that the the patients you see in the hospital are mostly unvaccinated um, and it's not people that haven't been boosted, boosted, it's people that haven't been vaccinated. Do you still notice that a majority are unvaccinated and it's not people who haven't gotten that third shot, that they are still protected from hospitalization?
2: Yes, the vast majority of people I see are there because they lack a first and second dose by choice. Not so many people there that lack boosters. There have been immunosuppressed populations that have been not, that that you you worry about are high risk people that that haven't gotten boosters that should be getting boosted. But the predominant people taking up our ICU beds are those who have chosen not to be vaccinated, but have chosen to come to the hospital instead and use that technology, although they shun the technology of the vaccine.
1: Where do we stand? I, because we knew, uh, um, you know, we can all put our forecaster glasses on. We knew that there was going to be a lot of hesitancy about a brand new vaccine, right? You know, kind of uh, released out there. Where do we stand now two years into creating something that is more like how we traditionally made vaccines for COVID-19?
2: Well, the, there are mother, more vaccines that are available that, that are starting to trickle out. Other countries have used vaccines like that. Like, for example, in India, they have a vaccine called Covaxin and, and Novavax, which has still using innovative technology, but more traditional in the sense that it's a protein-based vaccine uh, th- that just applied for emergency use authorization uh, by the FDA. So those are going to come. But the thing is, our vaccines work great. And this technology is something all of us have been clamoring for. I'd written report after report talking about the promise of mRNA vaccine technology because it's so good, because it's so quick to get, to get a candidate in, into, into people's arms so fast. So to me, it's, it's crazy that people have, have shunned this uh, when the polio vaccine came out, people, there was a ticker tape parade uh, for for Jonas Salk here in Pittsburgh, where I'm talking to you from. It's just just mind-boggling to me that people won't embrace this technology. I thought it was this, you know, when, I, when a new iPhone comes out, I run to get that new iPhone. That's what I thought of these mRNA vaccines. How much
1: of that do you think, though, is based on just the last three weeks uh, of what we're seeing? I, I mean, it's vaccinated people, it's people vaccinated and boosted, testing positive for COVID, and even... Though we can, you know, look at, say, a large, okay, you know, positive COVID tests and people who are vaccinated would have fewer symptoms. I think it's pretty easy for somebody to point to, well, hey, you know, everyone I know, vaccinated or unvaccinated, you're getting this new variant of COVID. So why should I uh, even bother? I, I mean, the last few weeks has probably done a big number on what you're just talking about.
2: No, it hasn't, because they can just take a stroll through the intensive care unit and see who they see. That, that's what I would tell them to do. Yeah, you might know people that, got, that are vaccinated and got infected, but do you know people who, who got vaccinated and died? Or do you know people who got vaccinated and ended up in the intensive care unit? Very few of them. People have just a skewed understanding of what these vaccines do, and I would just tell them just spend a day in a hospital and see who's coming in there. That will tell you how efficacious and how valuable these vaccines are.
1: Dr. Adalja, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much. know you're a busy guy. Dr. Amish Adalja is with Johns Hopkins University talking about uh, not just the kids' COVID vaccine, but for all ages right there uh, joining us live this morning.